saving the world starts with you. And you don't have to be a superhero to get it done. All you need to do is be more sustainable and make your habits more environmentally friendly. Sustainable U is here today to show you how. Sustainable U is underwritten in part by Terhune Orchards, 330 Cold Soil Road, Lawrence, 200 acres of locally grown Jersey fresh fruits and vegetables with country style service. Rye University, Office of Sustainable Management and Bronx Go Green, Team Toyota of Princeton, Route 1 South Lawrence. Are you part of the team? Lawn Crafters, give your lawn a little TLC. And the Trenton Farmer's Market, 960 Spruce Street, Lawrence. The area's original and most trusted farmer's market, open all year round. Now let's learn how to thank Mother Nature for her nurture with today's segment of Sustainable You. 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com, live from Clarence Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I am one of your hosts, Dean Riddle, and I am joined by... Jaleesa Malvern. So to kick things off for the week, we're going to, we're going to be talking about a topic that, unfortunately, it's only been getting worse over time. Now, I'm sure as all of you know, California is one of those regions that it is very prone to wildfires. It's just the natural climate of it. It makes it very, uh, they're very susceptible to wildfires because it's often so dry in California. They, they go through these droughts and all where they don't have rain for sometimes like two or three weeks on end. Like it's crazy. Like they go through these crazy droughts. I know like a few years ago, um, they went through such a drought that, uh, people were even advised like to, uh, limit how much they flush the toilet even like even like limitations like that like that's how crazy these droughts can get um so basically what's been going on is they've been going through a drought right now which is typical of california and um there's been wildfires and this one particular uh wildfire called the car wildfire that has been growing at like a really really fast rate recently um I know I it I think like 200,000 people have already been ordered to evacuate their homes and it's really it has okay so it's chewed through about 90,000 acres of land it's gone through about 90,000 acres already and that's a lot that's a lot of land um like okay I have grandparents out there that live in California uh, thankfully nowhere near that fire so they they shouldn't be affected by this which I'm very thankful for um <laughs> They own like a 10 acre property. Like they own a really, really big property. It's crazy how big it is. So it's really hard for me to picture how big of an area that really is that's being like just destroyed by that fire because 10 acres is enormous. That's an enormous property size. And like 90,000 acres, like that's crazy. That's crazy how much is going crazy. through. Um, so I think, I think what the, um, what they're trying to do right now is the fire is actually it's right around our, like a little lake it's right around a lake so that does help a little bit with uh with water resources at least of trying to get rid of the fire what's a little worrying however is that because of the the huge heat number one that fire's killing pretty much everything in that lake there's going to be nothing living in that lake after this fire because yeah. it's such a it's such a big fire literally it surrounds the lake the fire literally surrounds the lake and number two because of the heat it's causing so much of the water being evaporated so mm -hmm. the one main resource of water that they're using to get rid of this fire it's literally going away because of the fire itself so it's a growing problem that's probably only going to get worse now the good news is that there are so many states that are totally behind uh california with 
uh, with treating this fire, uh, like Florida, New Jersey, Oklahoma. So many states are behind like giving additional resources to California in getting rid of this because it's a big problem. And, you know, unfortunately, some people have passed away from this uh, from this fire, too. And that's that's a sad uh, that's the sad truth about a lot of these big fires. Um, No matter how much people get evacuated. Some people actually stay. Some people actually stay in their houses. And these fires move really, really fast. It could just take, you know, one gust of wind and an ember, just a hot ember to go on someone's house. And that whole house could catch on fire. And at that point, it could be too late. So that's why it's important. It's so, so important to heed those evacuation orders because they don't do it to try to annoy you or bother you. They do it to try to protect you. And, uh, they do it, you you know, all with good intention. Like I know, um, uh, I, I guess I kind of set a bad example because during hurricane Sandy, um, my area was ordered to evacuate, but we actually stayed and a lot of the people around me did too. And it was really scary though, because I remember that day, uh, we were looking out at night and we saw there was a police car. He had his lights on and, uh, he was going down the street and suddenly he was going in reverse and we couldn't tell why we couldn't tell why he was suddenly going in reverse and like his reverse lights weren't on and then we saw him trying to go forward again and the like we turned on the light outside we realized the water was right to our doorsteps thankfully there's no like big damage to it but yeah following those evacuation orders it's a really it's a really important thing and um in terms of national disasters there's been um, quite a few, if you've um, looked in the news um, over the past five, ten years, um, not um, not just Hurricane Sandy, um, but other hurricanes as well as um, tornadoes and fires. And um, I know that fires are very native um, to the um, West Coast, like California, um, other states, probably nearby Oregon, Washington State. And um, yeah, because of this very dry that heat over there, and um, unlike the um, East Coast, the East Coast is more moist. Um, we have a lot of moisture um here in Jersey, but um over there it's more dry. And I know that even though it's native, like there's been like a creasing amount of fires over there, and even mudslides when you think of it, if you yeah seen it last year. And um, this correlation could be um, contributed um, to global warming, like climate change, because you're um, it's um, a shame that um, these natural disasters are um, happening because of our choices um, in um, all this um, global warming. I don't. Well, okay, I I totally understand what you're saying, and I I agree. Um, I don't think it's fair to say that these natural disasters are happening because of us, but I do think it's very fair to say that we're contributing to it yeah. with with all the pollution. Because if you look back at weather patterns, um, you know, even I want to say 30 years ago, 30 years ago, that's not even that long ago in hindsight. Um, there were not nearly as many severe storms as there are now. Like, um, I think I've, I've actually looked at a few studies and... Um, there's been like, there's been like double the amount of severe storms as there has been like within like the past like 40 years, something, it's something like that. I, I'm, I might be a little bit wrong with the exact numbers, but like, it's, it's so crazy how many more like severe storms there have been in recent years. And for people that like, I really don't understand people that still deny climate change because for me at least like it's, 
in broad daylight there there's so much evidence and weather patterns just being one of them weather weather patterns are one of the biggest factors of or one of the biggest indicators of climate change uh like even the seasons too the seasons have shifted a lot and i'm sure a lot of you have noticed that too where in december i know even like three years ago three or four years ago in december i remember i was going to my grandpa's house for uh for christmas dinner and literally i saw lightning it was thunderstorming and lightning on christmas that's very very uncharacteristic of december now this this past december we just had 2017 that was a little bit more of a nor of a uh, of a more normal December. Um, that could be because of El Nino. I don't know if last year was an El Nino year or this year. I I know one of them is an El Nino. I think we actually might be in an El Nino right now, which again changes how uh, the weather system works. And El Nino that that's actually a very natural thing that has a lot to do with uh, why we're getting a lot of rain right now. So there are some natural weather patterns that are contributing yeah. to. Um, to like what's going on right now like el nino is totally natural it happens like every like seven years or something like that that that's a natural thing but with all these hurricanes like even hurricane irma that's a really recent example that's a really recent example that happened the beginning of 2017 or mid 2017 i should say um that was such a severe storm and i know florida they're they're kind of used to getting hurricanes. Uh, they've built a lot of their architecture around that. They've they built a lot of their architecture to withstand a lot of heavy storms and rainfall because they know that that's native of their area. But they did not expect anything in the magnitude of Hurricane Irma because there's been nothing like that in recent years. Mm-hmm. There's been nothing like that. And that's why it ravaged the area so badly. It ravaged yeah. the area so badly. And... Uh, yeah, Hurricane Harvey too. I mean, Hurricane Harvey. I can kind of, uh, I can kind of understand why Texas was a little bit less prepared because Texas doesn't really get hurricanes that much. So no, um, I under, I totally understand that why. Except uh, for Hurricane Gustav in two thousand eight. Oh, I don't, I don't even remember that. I, I'm not good at remembering the names of storms. What Hurricane Gustav that, uh, that affected uh Galveston, that Texas. in Texas, yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. But um. Like um, Dean said, El Nino does have a um, factor, and it's not all to blame the global warming. Some of it is sometimes hard to um, even like know what determine whether yeah these are to blame for. There's a lot of factors. Yeah, and to for the adverse weather effects, but this could be just natural. But still, like it was quite um, quite devastating. Like all these fires. Cause like this just struck out um recently and like you had all these um weather patterns of dryness over in the west and then all the east is getting all this torrential downpour and yeah thunderstorms but. it's it's really odd i i really wish that you know we could just move all of our not all but some of our rain to california because they need it more than we do right now we've been getting so much rain like i know uh like for We've been having so much rain recently. It's crazy. Um, the other day, I, I was on the road. Or no, actually, my friend was on the road. And it was it was flooding. And that road, like, never floods. It was flooding so badly that he had to abandon his car for a day. <laughs> and he had to walk home in the pouring rain wow. for, like, seven miles. It's crazy. But, yeah, uh, I think there's so much evidence that, uh, like climate change like it, it relates something to these these crazy weather patterns whether it be the fires whether it be hurricanes tornadoes whatever there's so much evidence that points to it 
Um, and I, I just think it's crazy that people just, they still don't see it because there's so much evidence. But with that being said, we are out of time on this segment of Sustainable You. We'll be right back after a short break. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable You. Yeah! 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 TheBronc.com, live from Clarence Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. We are back. I'm one of your hosts, Dean Riddle, and I'm joined by... Julissa Malvern. So, continuing on from what we were talking about last segment, um, it's actually not only in the U.S. where it's been a lot hotter recently, it's actually been a lot hotter in Europe, too. So, this isn't just a local issue, and this really kind of... It shows that everything's really interconnected. Like, um, I when you look at China, when you look at China... Um, and look, when it comes to pollution, especially factory pollution, China is a big issue. China, they, they contribute a lot to uh, to a lot of the pollution in the, in the air. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to ridicule them every time I talk about pollution, but it's it, it's straight up fact that China has contributed a large portion to uh, a lot of the aerial pollution. I mean, they, they have so many factories out there. I remember in the 2008 uh, Beijing Olympics, they actually shut down the factories for a week just so that the air would be of, like, decent, not even good quality, decent quality for the athletes to perform in because that's how bad it was. In case some of you don't know, like, uh, in Beijing, people would walk around with, uh, they'd walk around with masks, like face masks, so that they don't... Wow. Uh, so they don't uh, breathe in dust because there's so much or dust face. and soot. Yeah, you know, like um, if you go in a hospital, like the uh, they have like those face masks. It was something like that. Wow. Um, they everyone would walk around them, everyone, because there was so much dust and soot in the air, and that's really bad. And when when you wow. have that much dust and soot in the air, you know that something's up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know New York City has um, a little bit of smog. That's mm-hmm. that's gonna happen in big cities. That's just that's just gonna happen. Um, at least right now, uh, until we find like fully clean and fully sustainable resources to uh, to use for fuel, that's just something that's going to happen in big cities. I, I totally understand that. But Beijing, well, I shouldn't say just Beijing. I should say China as a whole. It's been such an issue for some time, and they are finally working on it. Um, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but um, I know recently they talked about um, they're they're trying to get out of using coal. China, they're trying to get out of using coal, and they're trying to can they're trying to uh, work on more sustainable sources of fuel like biofuel. They're trying to actually use a lot more solar, which I my own opinions about solar. I think solar is great, but the whole uh, discarding of the old solar panels because they only work for about ten to fifteen years. That's a big issue. That's a big issue that a lot of people overlook. Anyway. Getting a little bit a little bit more back on topic. Um, so yeah, there's been a heat wave in Europe lately, and wow. that that really shows that everything is interconnected. Because even in the northern countries like Sweden, Norway, and all that, they're usually very cool. But the heat wave has been so bad there that there's actually been forest fires in Sweden too. Forest wow. fires. Yeah, I know. Who would have thought that? Exactly. You wouldn't really associate Sweden to forest fires. Mm-hmm. I always associate Sweden with being very cold. Um, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm stereotyping because it's up north. I won't lie. Perhaps I am. I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure. But, because I'm not too sure of their weather patterns out there. Um, they, they could have actually temperate summers for all I know. But, that being said, I don't think Sweden has ever had that much of a forest fire issue in the past. I think they've mm-hmm. been... Very good with uh, 
with mean not I shouldn't say my, maintaining their forest, but temperatures have been uh, good enough for the trees not to catch fire. And now, you know, they the resources aren't there to be readily prepared for something like that. Just as California is, California, they're pretty well prepared for forest fires because they know it's an issue that happens like all the time. Um, you know, when you have a forest fire as big as the Car Fire, or even in uh, a little bit longer time ago, the uh, the Yellowstone National Park fire, that was that was a huge fire that uh, only the rain put that out. We and I'm thinking the same thing's going to happen with this fire in California um, because we yeah. we've been working like really hard to try to put out this fire, and I think it's just going to take something natural i think it's just it's just gonna take rain to actually put out the fire yeah rain is the best thing that could happen with them right now and part of that problem is that they're in such a drought so they don't know when they're gonna get rain um you know it could be two weeks it could be two weeks from now when they get rain and that's kind of scary because mm-hmm. it's so hard to contain a fire of that size and i'm, I'm sure yeah. the same goes for sweden too i feel like sweden they probably have less resources to care for it granted I do believe Sweden is in the European Union at least, so they probably have other nations like helping them out mm-hmm. with uh, with helping contain these fires. But um, even in this article, I'm actually they actually show an image of a reservoir, like like a lake. They show an image of a lake completely dried up, dried up to the point where the soil on the bottom wow. is cracked, like desert. Like if you've ever looked at the desert before, like sometimes like the sand is cracked. It's just like that. It's just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this kind of brings me back to the whole notion of of climate change contributing to this. Um, now, I know somewhere in this article it's said uh, in the Netherlands they're gonna now due to how the climate is now they're gonna have a heat wave like this one in every five years. So every five years they're gonna have a heat wave just like this. So I think that these countries knowing this they'll actually be able to prepare for it a little more, but. Who's to say that in 10 years or so, there might not be every one in three years or there are then one every two years, one, you know, one every year. Who knows? Like everything is more connected than people like to think because everything moves. There, there's there's these currents in the air. Everything moves. And if you pollute one area and it goes the same in the ocean, too, it goes the same in the ocean. If you mm-hmm. pollute one area, it really affects yeah. everything in the world. You know, it doesn't matter if. You have pollution from France or you have pollution from Australia. It's going to affect everyone in some way at some point. It just takes time. It takes time. And that's that's the thing that I think people. Wait, what was that? Animals, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Like, you know, hunting and all that. That's that's a different. I could go on forever about hunting, uh, you know, over hunting, over fishing. But yeah, everything, every action has a reaction. And uh, I don't, I know, uh, I think Newton, I think Newton said that. But no, it's totally true to the environment, too. Everything you do, it'll affect everyone in some way, one way or another. And um, Dean's right about that. It would affect everybody in some way. And like with, um, you said Sweden being um, with, with all this drought and like the river drying up and like forest fires, you wouldn't think that it was, um, would not be because it's cold. But, um, who knows? Maybe it'll be um, all the like um, snow will will disappear and everything. And yeah, exactly. Maybe um, Egypt will end up being colder. <laughs> See, yeah, but, and that's the thing. That's the weird thing about like um, like the weather patterns now. The I, I the, 
in my mind, I know for sure that climate change is absolutely affecting uh, the climate across the world. It's totally affecting the weather patterns. And I think there's areas in Africa, actually, that were historically very hot. And now they're actually cooling down. They're getting a lot colder now. Um, And I, you know, I don't really see any other evidence pointing to anything else. I think that has to be climate change. I don't know what else would cause that. Uh, It's because... I mean, sure, there could be, you know, who knows, there could be an El Nino that could affect it one year, but Mm -hmm. it's been consistently getting cooler. And, like, it's not like it's been getting, like, you know, 10 degrees cooler every year, but, like, you know, maybe half a degree cooler. And, you know, over years, over years and years, that that could be, you know, over 50 years, it could end up being, you know, 15 degrees cooler. And that's, that's a big difference. That's a really big difference that, uh, you know, like the people over there, they're gonna, they're gonna have to adapt to that. And, that you know that could take some time and they might not even realize it at first because like you know it might just be nicer to them it might just be nicer weather and that they might be able to you know live in that weather a little bit better but um eventually like if nothing's changed i feel it's going to get worse and worse and worse and it's going to exasperate the problem more and more because when one area gets cooler it means other areas are getting hotter even even that when the ice age happened um a lot of these places, um, Greenland, Iceland, Sweden, those are a lot colder. Even though they're cold now, they they were colder then. And even like all around the world in this um, global warming and climate change is really um, affecting them, uh, affecting these places. And what we thought as um, historically being cold, we... we, we um, correlate Sweden as being cold or like Egypt as being hot or like America as being kind of um four season um in certain areas um it's um dramatically changing we might even have warm December's from now on um, cool um cool Junes Junes and stuff yeah. like that even here in um Jersey a lot of the nights been cold in June July and um that's that's not really um a very very common around that there you know yeah that's a really good point that you bring that up i wasn't even thinking about that yeah a lot of the nights in june even like beginning of july they've been pretty cold like mm-hmm. 60 degrees and like especially in july that's not characteristic of july mm-hmm. i mean in july it should be going down to like 75 degrees now the humidity has been stacking up at least with what it should be i don't know if any of you have gone outside at night in july it's literally like you cannot breathe that is how dense the air is it's very dense it's crazy so at least that is stacking up but you know even if you just go outside like if you compare it to like even five years in the past there's a clear difference in how the weather is behaving now compared to what it is you know then um it's it's really interesting seeing how weather patterns have changed so much over such a short period of time too. Like when it, I know uh, last segment I was talking about how it thunderstormed and lightning uh, in uh, on Christmas like four or five years ago. That's so unusual. And I know recently actually there was um, thunder with snow, thunder snow, thunder snow that wow. happened. I think that happened in 2017 or maybe early 2018 actually. I, that? Exactly. I've never heard of thunder snow in my life. That was thunder the first snow. time first time I've heard of that. But yeah, that's such an unusual weather pattern and I've never heard of thunder snow before. That was the first time I've ever heard of it. And you know what? At this point, I wouldn't be surprised if I heard that I heard that term more often. I wouldn't be surprised if I actually witnessed thunder snow more often because 
everything's changing. Everything's changing so much. I wonder if the thunder um, would strike the snow and um, and um, burn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it. make rain in one spot. Yeah, it's funny. That would be uh, that'd be kind of weird. That'd be kind of cool though too. But just looking at like how much the weather's changed, it it's a big source of concern really. Uh, and it's not just you know across the U.S. with the fires and all that. It's it's everything everywhere. It's you know it's the hurricanes. It's heat waves in areas where the last heat wave was I think 1974. The last heat wave in that area like Scandinavia was 1974. So now they're saying that there's going to be one in Scandinavia every one in 10 years and Netherlands every one in five years. That's wow. a big concern. That's a big concern considering the last one was about 30 years ago. So, uh, you know, we got we really got to start being a little more conscious and people have to realize, you know, what's really going on here. Because if people can start realizing what's going on, then I feel people can actually unite and make uh, smarter decisions together. Unfortunately, we are out of time on this segment of Sustainable You. We'll be right back after a few underwriting announcements on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable U. 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronx.com, live at Kalani's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable U. I'm one of your hosts, Jaleesa Malvern, and I'm joined by Dean Riddle. So, in this third segment, we'll be talking about the topic of animal testing. And um, there's been a recent um, discovery of whether or not we're going to even need to be codependent on in animal testing. So basically they said, is it time to end animal testing? Um, they said basically technology can replace animals. That's so, cool. So basically in the course of history, animals been um, used to test um, medications, different products like cosmetics, other things. Um, even since like the 17th century. 17th century. Even far back then, they say ancient Greece, they say. Wow. Um, they say there's like, it's controversial in the aspect of whether uh, using animals is humane or not. Because they say a lot of animals are used in um, toxic experiments. They usually test flies, um, rats, mice, and worms. And um, they said that um, hmm. like a lot, of, we think as, of these types of animals as very pesty and like kind of a bother so we um so a lot of people may not um think that what is a bad thing necessarily yeah they yeah. have like a huge population these animals types mm -hmm. of animals what's your take dean well okay right um i like to think of it i like to think of this outside the box um what if humans were not the dominant species and there's another species that was more dominant than us where there were there's billions of us but then they did testing on us. How would we feel about that? You know what I mean? Um, now, I know some people are thinking, well, I mean, it's not like rats are, you know, sentient. It's not like, it's not like they actually yeah. have, like, intelligent thoughts, you know. But regardless, um, it's, it's really the same principle. They don't like it. They feel pain every time that they're yeah. injected with something, smeared with something. It doesn't matter. When they're subjected to foreign chemicals that could very well be harmful, yeah, it harms them, and they don't like it. They're a lot of them die or get like severely deformed or have birth defects. 
Yeah. I don't think humans would like that. So, you know, like, you always got to look at it as, hmm, what if it was me? You know, you always got to look at it that way because that's when you really put things into perspective. If everyone just keeps a closed mind and thinks of it as, oh, you know, they're, they're inferior species, then... You we would we would continue doing this and if everyone keeps up that mindset then everyone's going to think that about other species too some of which are quite beautiful species such as elephants gazelles whatever mm-hmm. you know people could easily adopt that mindset for far more um endangered species i'm not trying to discount the fact that even you know mice or rats you know play a part in society because like i said i always say this i can't emphasize that enough Every species plays a part in a food chain. It, it plays a part in an ecosystem in some way or another. Even though we as humans may not view uh, rats and mice as very important, it's important to other species too. Take cats, for example. Cats, they eat mice. Wild cats eat mice. Yeah. If there's no mice or very little mice in the food chain, how are wild cats going to eat? Yeah. Or birds. Or birds. Yeah. yeah. Even. Mm-hmm. And um, the technology... Um, this I think that is a good alternative for um, an, um, animals. I think like when you when when you start testing things on animals, you have a um, high chance of um, endangering them. And every animal on the food chain has um, a purpose. Even um, worms and flies. You wouldn't think exactly. like flies are pesty or worms are pesty. Yeah. Like flies they fly in your food and everything. The green head ones they bite oh, they hurt. Yeah, they're they annoying hurt. but they do have a purpose even mosquitoes do have a purpose frogs man frogs it's all about do. the frogs the frogs eat them and um i like frogs actually uh, uh funny i yeah i actually uh so i work at a pool i lifeguard now and every time when i check those skimmers i always see i always see frogs in there and uh, I always make an effort to, you know, safely release them back in the grass because frogs are important. I recognize the importance of frogs. Um, yeah. And you know, I kind of, I think frogs are kind of cute. I, I, the small ones. I, I know, Some of I know. Them are cute. I think they're kind of cute though. Um, I don't think they're weird or anything. I think they're kind of cute. But um, what's cool about this machine is that it totally. It really eliminates the need for ever testing an animals again um, because this machine is actually better than testing on animals anyway because the main issue with testing on animals is – well, there's two main issues that uh, – not even looking at the ethics part of it. Two main issues with it. One – these animals weigh significantly different than humans do. So mm-hmm. now what scientists do is they appropriately uh, they change the size of the dosage or whatever they're giving it to a much smaller one, one that would be scaled up to what a human would take. But regardless, that's a much smaller – you can't accurately really um, define. You can't accurately take away – what that's going to do to a rat in comparison to a human because mm-hmm. they weigh so vastly different. I mean, yeah, they do. what a rat might weigh two pounds and then a human weighs, you know, I don't even know exactly the weight of a human can range so much. Um, mm-hmm. And number two, they're not humans. I mean, I actually go without saying that they're not humans, but what I'm trying to say is they might take in, chemicals differently than humans do they're all their organs work somewhat differently than humans and it's can't compare it exactly yeah you really can't compare it as well as you can as if you test another human and you know we all go back to the idea that you know humans are superior they're a superior race and i'm not trying to say that 
you know, rats are on the same sentient scale, the same intelligence scale as humans, because they put it simply, they're not. They're they're just not. They don't. They're not the ones that come up with, uh, you know, medicine and all, and you know, play a huge part in you know our society. But it's not to discount the fact that rats and mice say they, they do play a part in the ecosystem at least. And yeah. when we're when we're negatively affecting these animals even though there is such a large population of them who knows it could be affecting future generations of it too because Mm -hmm. say that um lab rat is you know given you know it causes birth defects with whatever it's injected with say it causes birth defects if they release it back in the wild and it tries reproducing that could have generational birth defects that last for generations on end so it could have lasting effects that could you know go on for thousands of years even um i know they used to test on bunnies and rabbit Mm -hmm. and that wasn't a lot of people were protesting against it it was a bad thing because like um to do that is um cruelty and it's no different than mice and um both mice and bunnies are both rodents yeah considering exactly yeah. yeah exactly i don't but we like bunnies like everybody likes bunnies but we may not like mice but they have purpose yeah but like what makes it more acceptable to do this to a mouse than it is to you know a bunny i mean because you bring that up i mean they're both wild animals they're both rodents or mammals whatever they're both somewhat related to a I think they're both mammals. God, I yeah, they're both mammals. Yeah, they're both mammals. Okay. Yes, um, yes, yes. Um, And I think that's really like that. That's really the only relation that a mouse would have to a human. There, it's a mammal. And guess what? You know what else is a mammal? Uh, A whale. A whale's a mammal. But we're not going to test on a whale. Or no, we're not going (laughs) to test on a whale. So like, I, it's really inhumane because it's it's just it's hurting it's hurting that animal too. Again, imagine if someone was doing that to you. Imagine if someone was injecting you with 20 different things in one day and Mm. you were expected to react in some way or another, you know? I certainly wouldn't like that. And it would very much negatively affect my health. And it could cause bigger problems in the future, too. Yeah. The coolest thing about this machine, though, is... It, like I said before, it totally eliminates the need to ever do it on animals ever again because the accuracy rate of this machine is actually 87% accurate, while on animals, it's only 81% accurate. The only thing is that this might be more uh, expensive. I know they said that uh, they already have $36 million in funding, which is great. Um, Hopefully they'll be able to build more of these machines, really kind of build it the way that they intend to. Um, But it's a really good thing. And hopefully that with the with the bringing of this machine, it really ends uh, animal testing and can finally we can finally move on from that that cruel practice. Yeah. Unfortunately, we do have to take a quick break on Sustainable U. We'll be right back after a short break. Whoever said it's not easy being green? Uh-oh. Now let's get back to learning how and reduce, reuse, and recycle with Sustainable U. Yeah! 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com, live in Corny's Public House Studios. This is Sustainable You. I'm your host, Jaleesa Malvern, and I'm joined by Dean Riddle. So, this fourth segment, we'll be talking about the environmental roadmap. So, basically, it's a roadmap, roadmap that aims to cut environmental impact. And they said that 
this like highly detailed map reveals global patterns of current and potential future road infrastructure and they said the um grip grip um which is the global roads inventory project inventory um they said integrated many previous data sets with the hope of informing global policies to reduce the environmental impacts of road development and they said that roads are important for socioeconomic development by providing access to resources which are jobs and markets and they also bring about various environmental impacts that's a good point i mean that i i totally agree with that i mean roads are arguably the most important part of the infrastructure of any country i mean you need good roads to be able to transport everything whether it be you know like minerals food anything you need you need good roads to be able to do that but uh like you need to be able to we we need to find a way to develop these roads in a way that doesn't affect the environment as much because the big issue with you know big interstate highways and all that is there's so much deforestation that occurs when these big highways are built because if you think about it if you ever look down a highway it cuts right through big forests like even even in new jersey the garden state parkway there's so many trees around you there's so many trees around you because the road is literally built on a forest and that's kind of it's kind of sad to think about that an entire forest of a huge span was basically just cut down just for the use of roads was it was it important yes it was important i'm not denying the fact that it was important but if we could find ways to in the future develop um highways that interrupt the environment a lot less that would be optimal because another thing isn't even um like deforestation but even something as simple as i know everyone's seen it deer on the road everyone's seen deer on the road at night oh, yeah on I highways the deer um driving up here to rider it's actually getting worse now that i yeah. mean it a lot of that has to do with the fact that number one it is like breeding season or actually no breeding season was like in this like early spring for deer but now you know like that's actually when like there's more deer now because you know like i mean you know like they're giving birth now so like there's going to be a lot more deer out now so that makes yeah. sense but the other thing is that deer have such a fast... They have a very fast reproduction rate, so... Yeah, they pro- proliferate they, very fast. Yeah. They multiply. I mean, they multiply very quickly. Um, Remember John Wade talked about... Um, I on, do. On a few episodes ago about that. Yes, he said yes. They're basically destructive to other um, habitats. And you know what? Going back to that, I, I actually don't totally disagree with the notion of... Uh, killing deer for good because I know that sounds like a bad thing killing deer but really <laughs> really there's so many deer I, I have noticed a crazy amount of deer on the road lately more than I really ever have uh, maybe it's because I just haven't paid attention to it in the past but there's so many deer on the road now it's insane and I kind of have to agree with him that killing deer wouldn't be such a bad thing because like he said those deer they do destroy like they do destroy areas around them because there's just so many of them and they just they graze sometimes they overgraze areas and makes it very hard for vegetation to grow in that area again Mm -hmm. um so i don't disagree with them on that and even these interstate highways like everybody knows the garden state parkway 295 nj transit the um ac expressway all those um interstate highways 
really weren't in existence in the 30s and 40s that's and true and prior to that and everybody knows that nobody really thought about climate change then and it wasn't as um averse as it is now and i think that has to do with that and um the roadmap would um help with the environmental impact because this 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 um deforestation is getting to be a problem because you have a lot of deer and just not just the deer um being overpopulated is that you're destroying their habitat and it's cutting into their um, environment and when you do that um that um just creates a problem for drivers and deer and exactly. they're not used to it exactly because what it's doing it's cutting through their natural habitat so then what do they do get to get the other side of their habitat they cross the road and what do drivers often do at night when they see deer on the road they hit them and not only does it kill the deer but it could severely hurt humans too mm-hmm. and not not only that i mean it could damage the car too but um yeah that's something that really needs to be taken into account and it doesn't have to be just deer it goes even as far as you know like turtles too i've seen a few turtles cross the road every now and then it's because they're separated from their natural habitat and maybe where they need to go to get their resources might be in the other side of the road and that's a very dangerous journey for them because very often they'll get hit and they'll die and it's it's really sad like i love turtles personally i i care a lot about turtles and i it always breaks my heart whenever like on the side of the road i see like a crushed turtle because i think turtles turtles are just wonderful they're just wonderful creatures i can't even explain why like that's i don't even have an explanation as to why they're wonderful creatures they just are but yeah and i'm hoping now with this with this roadmap uh you can actually notice that a lot of it um it's like the worst in europe which i'm actually surprised about that i i thought it was going to be the u.s for a lot of it but yeah in the europe it's red uh and I think that that probably that has to do with the fact that Europe is naturally it's such a forested area. Europe is an amazing area for any type of foliage, anything, anything to grow. Europe is, I think, better than America in that in those terms for uh, for like natural growth and all that. And they've cut through so much land just to build highways and all that like if you look at germany the audubon the audubon is one of the most well-known highways in the world yeah spans a long way it's a very very big highway and germany is very well known for being a very green luscious area and it's cut down so much forest around it just to build that and again i'm not trying to say that cutting down forests for a highway is really wrong because I get it. They do what they have to do. And at the time they built it, they probably didn't realize the uh, the impact it was going to have on the environment. And having mm-hmm. having roads is important. Like I said, having roads, it's important to the infrastructure of any nation because you need it to get to places. Absolutely. You can't get to places without roads. You know, it's just the way it works. Um, but I don't know. Maybe if instead of going through a forest if they maybe found like a plane if they found like a plane to go through that didn't really have a whole lot of vegetation which again it would affect the environment in one way or another but i think building over a plane would be better than building straight through a forest because at least planes don't have nearly as much vegetation and i think the overall impact would be a lot lower yeah so maybe in the future if we could look at this map uh we could actually see we could see really where we could potentially reroute in the future and maybe um, like make additions or other highways in the future so that it doesn't have that much of an impact on the environment around us because 
uh, highways, they, they do unfortunately interfere a good amount with other ecosystems and environments around us. And if we can find ways to kind of circumvent that issue, then that would be a good thing for not only us, because it'd make it safer for us, but it'd be a good thing for like other species and other animals around the area too. Yeah, that's very true. And with the, with the roadmap that, that hopefully would, um, just, um, reduce the impact of this infrastructure and um the the roads in the eastern um part of um the u.s um where all the cities are that's very um affected in terms of um environmental impact um pollution global warming and i noticed that it was highlighted in new jersey around um philadelphia new york and boston yeah 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 all those places even even in the west um los angeles sacramento Mm -hmm. all cities and what what i find interesting with this is if you look in the central uh, united states you don't really see much it's mostly green it's mostly good out there because a lot of this has to do with gdp has to do with density of population uh new jersey is one of the most densely populated states. Actually, it might be the most densely populated state as a whole. I, I'm it not is. sure. It it's, is. It's the most. Um, has the most. Um, um, inhabitants. Yeah, oh, yeah inhabitants. GDP. Yeah. Um, per square mile than and any other state. That makes sense. That New Jersey is such a high, uh, a, such a high thing on the uh, on the map. And then you look at California too. That makes sense too. Um, but yeah, if, if we could figure this out and if we could find ways to just build other highways that avoid the whole issue of, you know, cutting into wildlife and all that, that'd be a really great thing. Not only for us, but for other species around us too. But unfortunately, that's it for this episode of Sustainable U. We'll be back next week at the same time on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. You just heard the best tips on how to be sustainable. So go ahead and spread the gospel of green. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Sustainable You. Saturdays at 9 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. If you want to listen to any replay editions, go to 1077thebronc.com and click on the Sustainable You tab on the homepage. You can even subscribe to our podcast. Just simply search Sustainable You on iTunes. Sustainable You is underwritten in part by Terhune Orchards, 330 Cold Soil Road, Lawrence, 208 of locally grown Jersey fresh fruits and vegetables with country style service. Rider University, Office of Sustainable Management and Bronx Go Green. Team Toyota of Princeton, Route 1 South Lawrence. Are you part of the team? Lawn Crafters, give your lawn a little TLC. And the Trenton Farmer's Market, 960 Spruce Street, Lawrence. The area's original and most trusted farmer's market, open all year round. Join us again for next week's edition of Sustainable You on Saturday at 9 a.m. And be one step closer to saving the earth without a carbon footprint left behind. Only on 1077 The Bronx.